glory after that. Did it make sense? I think a lot of us actually do what we do under his anointing, and it's through his anointing that we're doing what we're doing, but to live from the glory is just another whole realm. If you haven't listened to that teaching, do 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 that. It was so powerful. After that, we had a luncheon uh, with people who are new to this community, wanting to know a bit more about our culture, and it was a special time. There was some Q&A. We were sharing uh, a little bit about our culture, and we went back over our history, which is always precious to remember where we came from, which is an interesting season. So we're nine years and three weeks is how old Paradox Church is. That means in January, this coming one, it's our 10th birthday. I think we should have a ball, like a formal ball. We haven't done that together, like gowns and suits and dancing. (sighs) Anyway, nine and three months. Every season we get to is my favorite because the people who have come are now a part of it and family is like, now we're, now we're full and whole and it's amazing. And then more people join and then we stretch and we learn them and it's like, now it's my favorite. And of late, just from that luncheon, it's like, now it's my favorite. Um, and it's just so exciting. But our history is that it was a bit clunky. Uh, I was member number eight. We didn't grow a huge amount for a few years and we've never, ever, ever made it our goal to grow numbers. We've made it our goal to bring the kingdom, which produces numbers. But in the beginning, the Lord protected us and we stayed small. We were just in the Joss's home and then in a little shop front, Kunana, uh, Medina, Callista, Medina. And then we went to a school library. Was anyone here that was in that little school library? The, the Tans, Ed and Aki shared very much part of our history. Sarah and Amy and Mitch put up with us in that season. The hurries, the hurries. Um, yeah, so little paradox kids in a little room through a window, and that's the other tan kids, the hurry kids, definitely the just kids. Um, and everyone who stayed means they were very gracious. We were always learning. Thank you. Always learning. And the Lord kept us small so we could make our mistakes then. But it was actually... He just chose to build culture with those we had. And from the beginning, we've intentionally built everything that you experience at Paradox Church. We, at the beginning, it's always been the outcome is just follow him. Where's he going? What's he doing? But when it comes to our intimacy with him, our worship on him, our, you know, the prayer has started, all of the, it's about our connection with him. There's seeds that have been put in that that would remain the outcome no matter who's here, no matter if we grow, no matter if there's 300 in the hall in two years' time, the the focus isn't going to change. It's those seeds are the seeds we've chosen and we're going to minister to him and we're going to come closer to him no matter how awkward, no matter how, oh my gosh, no, it's just like we want his face. That's, that seed in the ground is never going to change. It'll grow as in he'll go, now add this, now do this. He's leading us. But just know if we're part of this community, we're going after him. We're going after him big time. Other seeds, and they're not more important, are that we've put different seeds in the ground as to how we do family. How we do family. Did you know the Bible is full of familial language? Not familiar, although that would be good too. Familial as in 
brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, all that language. There's a lot of bride, wife, husband, especially this way with him and us. And there's so much brother, sister language here. He has decided that his people would be a family. Not Paradox Church has decided. God has decided that if someone follows him, that wouldn't be the end of the story. They would then be his children, they'd become his bride, but it's this, that we're the bride here. We're all his bride, but he has decided, what an idea, that we would become family. Isn't that a thing to ponder? And so we've gone, yes, Jesus, and we're putting seeds in the ground that we're going to be family. This does not mean it's going to be easy. For some people, the very word family triggers a whole bunch of junk. The word mother, the word father, the word brother, the word sister, it can be like, whoa, I came here to attend a service. Do not make me feel like I have to covenant in the scripture shows us we covenant in if we join a family we don't go see you next christmas protect myself for another 12 months from you we go regardless of who you are where you are what's in you i choose you and we covenant in so we've decided to go get my smart word it's a lot of word today it's gonna be on the screen it's new for me i'm growing i'm stretching We've decided to go, yes, Jesus, we will become a family. It's really hard. We have a lot of mom and dad moments here where we're like, I want out. It's hard to build a family physically, isn't it? It's hard to raise sons and daughters in the culture of your home. So it's not easy for us here to become a family. But the type of family that the word shares and that Jesus is after is like this. It's like sitting together eating together, knowing each other, it's very uncomfortable and it produces amazing fruit, which I'm going to walk us through. Amazing fruit. But it's going to come with a whole bunch of, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. You can start practicing that in home life ups. They start gathering a bit this week. Huddles are on this week. That's the evening one. It'll be full of people that are not naturally your friends. You might not even want to be there. Choosing that this is going to be your family means grafting in. You know when you can make a plant attached to the stem of, I I failed science, of like I got an E. (laughs) Wow. You can attach it to a plant. I make sure there's complete paving where I live. There's no, no, no gardens. Um, you can graft, you cut it, and you cut, and you attach it like in a little triangle thing. And, and then life can begin, and you actually are part of that plant. That's grafting in. That's choosing a spiritual family. It's so unbiblical to even think that I'm looking for a church so I can attend a service. Where did we learn that? That breaks my heart, that that's become our natural sort of culture. I read a a beautiful letter of someone doing mission work, and then they've just moved country, and they said, please pray for us. We need to to really find a church we can attend. What What have we done? 
attend? You don't attend a family, do you? Do you attend your family? It's unbiblical, it's sad, and the whole framework of that language suggests I go to a place and then I go back and I go away. I feel there's two things I want to start unpacking today. One is you all come from a culture in your family home. Your generational family flow may be good or bad or ugly or evil or amazing or so spiritual and you're so blessed. Either way, you come with a whole set of values and understanding and this is how things work and this is what's right and this is what's wrong. And the person sitting two seats down does not have a clue about those values. They have a whole different set. And this is how we treat women. Two chairs down, oh, we learn quite different. One group over here, this is what we learnt, what you do with emotions. Over here, you manage emotions so different because that's what you learnt growing up. Over here, there's someone who's like, this is what one does when one is angry because father used to just blast off or mother used to go passive and silent. There's learned things, whereas over here, someone's like, oh, when I'm angry, I give it a voice and I forgive because they learn different. So I really want you to know that you all have a different biological family culture and way of doing things. Some's great, some's horrifically dumb. And we need to understand that there is a kingdom culture that we need to learn. Kingdom culture to go after kingdom culture and change your generational lines. I'm not talking here about the paradox culture. Make sure, and I'm not standing here because I'm going to unwrap some of the cultures. This is not what's paradox culture. Got to get it right when I'm in that church, and when I get to the next one, I'll learn a different one. No, 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 no. This isn't about what's right and wrong, and it's not about paradoxes culture. We're all after what's kingdom culture, and yes, Lord, yes, Lord. So we're learning that kingdom culture can be different to individuals' culture here. So we need to teach. You know the Great Commission? It says, go into the world, baptize him into, people into the understanding of who God is and Jesus is and Holy Spirit. And then there's a next part, which I really felt the Lord talked to me about this week. It says, and teach, equip. I'm like, oh, you're talking to me, Jesus. Equip them in my commands. So I'm going into a whole study, whatever even his commands, and I'm seeing his word command is right through the Gospels, and the commands are kind of the same in all four. There's 60 in my research that just Jesus says, and he goes over, if you love me, you'll obey these, like you'll do these commands. I'm like, whoa. This is not an expectation thing, remember? Excellent intro to this word. It's an invitation. It's an invitation, but he says in his big like commission, teach people to obey how I want them to live. So here I am. This is the great commission. It's an invitation into kingdom culture, not paradox culture. But what that will require at times is to lay your culture on the altar and go, Jesus, wash what isn't of you, bless what has been of you, and I want to learn what your commands are. And it's saying yes to the invitation to be like Jesus is what he wants okay that's one thing the other issue we have is that we come from church cultures all the way back across the decades across the whatever whatever and we've been in different church families that have different cultures of the way they do things but what we're seeing prominently is that Sundays have become something one attends 
and it starts with this. You'll see it's a bit, it, it's a lot here. We're, we're putting all of this on the table at the moment as why are we even doing this? So things may change. But it's like, well, we sit in a row. We sit at the back if we don't know anybody. There will be a big tithe talk. There will be announcements video on the screen. There will be singing. There will be lights, possibly. There will be a teaching. And then afterwards, whatever they want to do to hope that we come back again to a service. Did they like the service? That's in some cultures, not all, but it's in some cultures. I remember meeting someone who wanted to plant a church. I met him a couple of years ago, and I said, oh, what are you going to, well, that's huge. I'm like, good luck. <laughs> oh, you're going to need Jesus for that. And he said, yeah. I said, what are you going to do? And I'm thinking, you know, what we did and didn't do, and what are you going to do? And he went, we're just going to do the best Sunday services we can ever do, and that'll, that'll be how we do it. I went, that you're missing it yes if your Sundays are we're just going to glorify him and get around the presence and if people want to join in for that then then we'll grow our church yes if that's the point but it's I'm going to do the best Sunday service and hopefully keep them and the numbers will grow like no you build a family when you start a church you build a family Irregardless of even if you meet on a Sunday. You didn't even meet on Sundays when we started. It was Wednesday night. We're here. You build a family. You don't build an amazing service. It's dangerous. And I remember hearing this analogy when someone was saying, why do we do what we do? And he was referring to someone who was making doors for houses. And he needed to make like 20 but no one gave, he didn't have a measuring thing. No one told him the measurements, but he got given one door. So what are your thoughts? If he has to make 20, he doesn't know the measurements, he doesn't have a ruler, given a door. What do you think he did? He laid down the door, took a pencil, cut around it on another piece of wood. There we go, two doors. M made that door, put it down on the thing, pencil, made. What happens slowly is you end up with a very much bigger door than the first one because you're cutting around it. The pencil's not going to be the exact line. It sticks out a bit, and you're cutting, and he was cutting. around. And I think in the church we've got into this place where our door is over here. It's not the original design. We need to go back to what are the measurements? What are we even doing here? Why are we even here? Why are you turning up? Why do you go to, like, what is the church for? Why are we here? Do you know what you're doing here? If we're doing because this is what one does when one's a Christian, I'm so sorry. That's horrific. I'm going to ask a question. It's on the screen. Why, what's the primary purpose or being the church? What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of gathering as a church? What are we doing? Have a think. 30 seconds. What is the reason we're doing this? Now turn to someone and tell them what you thought and listen to their thought. Go. One minute.
or meters three, it's fine. What are we here for? All right. It is quite possible if I asked for everyone's answer, we'd get a whole bunch of different ones. Did someone have a different thought than you? See, we come from all these different cultures and, and understandings. Let's come back. Okay. Let's go John 17, 20 to 26. If you've got your phone or something like that. We're going to do a bit of study today. John 17, 20 to 26. This is a most beautiful passage. You know why? Someone captured Jesus praying. It's beautiful. They, he was praying out loud and they captured it. And who was he praying for when they captured it? You. Today. And they captured it. I've got this in the, uh, the Passion Translation. If you've got an issue with that one, it's very similar to the NIV and to others. It, the essence, the point is the same thing. This one, the, uh, the passion is more thought for thought when it's um, going through it. Essence for essence. Jesus prays for you. And I ask not only for these disciples, so he wasn't praying just for the 12, but also for those who will one day believe in me through their message. Here's his prayer and here's why we gather as a church. Are you ready? I pray for them all, it's on the screen, to be joined together as one. Even as you and I, Father, are joined together as one, I pray for them to become one with us so the world will recognize that you sent me. There's some key words, there's a repeated word in that prayer. What is it? That's said three times, I think. The whole goal of us coming together is oneness. That's it. Oneness with each other, oneness with him. Oneness this way, oneness this way. Oneness, that's threatening. I'm not saying all at the same property at the same time. That's not oneness. That's being in one accord and coming to something. Oneness is well, that's talking about like almost marriage stuff. That's intimacy. That's covenanted. That's conjoined. That's one piece of something and we're all inside that together. That's really connected. That's really scary. I'm going to be connected to you. <laughs> and you. Everyone here, oneness. That's quite close and then with God his prayer is like complete union that's marital talk marital so today I'm not gonna do a whole more thing on how this can be rectified for some enlarged for some built on for some but in my talking about this one today it is secondary to this one okay it's not bigger just because it's today's topic is that all right but literally oneness that's his prayer. He says it again in the greatest commandment. What's the greatest commandment? Matthew 22, 36 to 40. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. If you're flipping. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? 
Oh, Jesus answered him, Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, with all your energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. Whoa. This is the great and supreme commandment. Oneness. And then he goes on with the culture of what the church should be. And the second is like it in importance. You must love your friend. So other ones, it's neighbor. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself. Some of us are still rectifying that. Contained within these commandments to love. There it is. Oneness. It's literally to love If you're like, what is the purpose of my life? What am I here for? Why am I designed? Just read this. You're alive to love. That's the purpose of your life, to love. Some of us get a little bit narcissistic in our wounding, and we go, the goal of my life is to be loved. (laughs) And then everything flows from that. I'll use that false refuge to love me. I'll use relationships to love me. I'll take all my need to the church to love me. I'll take everything to my partner. Love me, feed me. The goal of my life is to be loved. You're not loving me. Oh, you love me so much. Can we be codependent? And it's not the goal of your life. If you are alive, then Jesus says... I have loved the world. He chose you before you chose him. Like, you're designed to be loved by him. Yes, that is why we're alive, to be loved by him. But to live, and a purpose of our life, is to love. This way and that way. Let's look at our timetable. Think about your week. Where is that reflected in my week? Is it everywhere in my week? irregardless of job, home, parenting, not parenting, being alone, wishing you could be alone. (laughs) We're all in different spaces. I'm like, I want to get married. And my friends sometimes are like, no, you really don't. We can all be, (laughs) we can be in different places. I'm like, ah, I'm just wanting a break. And they're like, I haven't had one in five years. So we're all in different places, but in, that, in your, this last week, in your managing, in your finances, where is the purpose of your life is to love? To love. Then check again. Not that this is the topic, and I keep coming back to it. If my thing is oneness with him, and he's designed me to love, how did loving God, loving on God, where was that this last week? Is it the main thing? Is the main thing the main thing? See, we need to come back. We need to come back. We need to come back to what's the kingdom culture? Oneness to love. And everything else flows from that. Ministry, work, same thing. Parenting, same thing. Your calling, if it's attached first to oneness here, if you're known here and you know him here, try living life from that. Oh, the reward, he rewards us, and oh, the good fruit, like really good fruit. Is this okay? So, 
at the closing of the worship today, uh, Brad was saying, when it comes to the commands of the Lord, don't hear it as expectation. And for some, if you've been in a home where there's high expectation, where love's dependent on if you meet that expectation, where you learn doing things right is how you're loved, we really hope you don't hear this through those filters. It's really important that you're not hearing, well, I don't do enough, well, I've got to do more, well, I've got to do it right now, well, I've got to do better, just because we're hearing the beautiful commands of Jesus, okay? It's not coming through that filter, so just, I bind all those strongholds in Jesus' name. So, it's an invitation. You went to Texas last year with Luke, and you went to the upper room, and you were speaking to the pastors there, Michael, Michael, what's his surname? Miller, and, and she was asking about their culture, I think, and how they do family. And he said, oh, we're, we're really trying to make it a place where young people, especially who keep pouring in, but everyone who comes, um, they come into this soil and they die. That's the goal of their church. That was his sentence. How kingdom is that? You know, the scripture says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, then it will produce an abundant harvest. What is this death thing? Because actually I'm inviting you into it too. Come here and die, please. Very well. Death involves death of our flesh and the rest of us thriving. When Jesus died on the cross, it was completely finished. We are no longer positionally sinners. We are just not. It's not who we are. And yet, somehow, we still end up being a bit naughty. Why is that if it was done at the cross? False refuge, bitterness, judgment, arguing, broken relationships, alcohol, sugar. But if it was done at the cross, we're not sinners. Positionally, we're completely right with Christ. We're like, the thing came down in the lawyer room. I, I didn't get that subject either. And, um, and it's done. But then, Scripture says, but then walk out your salvation with trembling. There is a sanctification process that we are then invited into. He's like, I died so you can live. Now I'm going to kill you is kind of what it says in Scripture. It says, now come into the process of sanctification. What's sanctification? We use the word heart journey around here a lot to help really understand it's this thing. It's not a new thing. Heart journey equals sanctification. I've heard some people, I'm just tired of the heart journey and I hate the heart journey, this paradox thing and everything else. And everyone's sad around here. Everyone's sad. I sound like Danny Silk. But um, he talks like that when he's <laughs> telling examples. Silly! But... Um, it's like, I hate it. It's like, it's not new. It's called sanctification. It's because something in you needs to die. That's why you're burning. Die quicker. But it's really a process of bringing things to death. And we spend our Christian life going, excuse me, you're supposed to rescue me from my fire. You're God. Why aren't you rescuing me? He's like, because I'm killing you. You're the one with the sin. And we keep praying prayers for him to pull us out of our situation. He's like, you asked for me to sanctify you. You asked for me to make you pure and holy. I'm doing what you asked. Get me out of here. Okay. Then you'll have to go around the mountain all over again at another time. 
and the whole church will bang their heads against the wall because it's the third year of you going around a mountain. But just die quicker. It's called yielding. Bow. Yes, Jesus, kill me now. It really goes much quicker. Some of us are like wriggling, fighting. He really is in the fire with you. He walks around in there. He's getting your bonds off, you know, the chains, the things that you have that he didn't put on you. He's coming after them to set you free for you. It's, he, he's not hurting you. He's setting you free from your junk that you chose to have in your heart when you responded to life in particular ways in your trauma. Make sense? So... Because we choose kingdom culture, we can't skirt around heart issues like some cultures might want to. We go, oh, if you're going to be part of this family, you're going to die at some stage or over and over again for a really long time. But we will be with you. We will be with you. And we've learned some tools. We've learned biblical tools a lot through the Elijah House training and others. They're all the same if they're from the Bible. We've learned biblical tools of even how to help you and make it quicker. We know how to cut things and bind things. Guess what? It's not all demons. Some people, some church cultures, there's pain over there, demon. He's tired over there, demon. She's depressed, demon. It's called suppressed emotions in the heart, not the spirit. Let's go get the hearts unlocked. Freedom. There might be demons on top of that, but demons only come if there's a door open. Rats only come if there's rubbish. They can't just be demons everywhere. Oh my gosh, how come they landed? How come they landed? Oh, you have a door open. Oh, you got to sit in your heart. Oh, come and die. Demons will go. It's kind of how it works. So it's really good to die. Demons sometimes don't even do deliverance because in the prayer ministry, they go. Why? No rats if there's no rubbish. Closed door. Oh, can't be here anymore. It's a kingdom principle. So to be in this family means to die because it's kingdom and Jesus will be sanctifying you. Do you know that it's God who sanctifies you? Scripture even says that. <laughs> we don't. It's not our job to come and sanctify Jess. Oh, she's joined our church. Everyone gather around her. We're going to sanctify her. You got this, you got that, you got this. It's scripture says God sanctifies. Oh, but maybe we can convict or convict you. No, scripture says Holy Spirit is the only one who can convict. So to be in this community, no one's going to convict you of your sin. We're going to point it out. I'll get to that in a minute. But we're not going to convict you of your sin. We're not. Holy Spirit is the only one who can do that. Scriptural. But we don't live in denial here. If you join our family and you're in denial about your junk, we'll show you where it is. Isn't that loving? That's what kind of family we are. Very safe. But we are a family that doesn't just go, boop, there it is. We go, oh, and let me walk with you through that. And I'll be with you the whole way. And you're loved, messy. You're actually welcome to be messy here. You're welcome to have a messy marriage here. Oh! And people know about it. And people know how even your sexual intimacy is going or not going because if it's not going there's a whole lot of shame going around with you guys a whole lot of shame may nobody know this no we'll know this and we'll help you through 
We're not doing the, I'm broken and it's hidden and here's a beautiful Christian face. Don't you love my Christian face? I do everything right. They're not doing the right thing. They're not doing the right thing. And let me prophesy and then go back to my dysfunctional life. And then I'm going to come back out and be in the gifts of the Spirit. Go back to my dysfunctional life. Oh, but I don't do friends. I'm too spiritual. I spend time with God. It's God and I when I'm super spiritual because humans are not safe. Humans are not safe. So we gather around people like that when they come because we have people who come in. They're very spiritual. It's very wonderful. And we protect that and we love it. And we do not idolize that here. So it gets a bit possibly... We're just really... Spiritual gifts are very important. But if they're your identity and they define you, at some stage, you're just going to have someone standing next to you go, and what about who you are? I want to know who you are. Can we just do that? That's how it works here. So if you're highly spiritual and you just find Jesus safe, that's called a false refuge. We can idolize time with him. It's an escape route because humans aren't safe. Well, Let's go into your heart and find it out when you came to believe humans aren't safe and have Jesus start putting trust in you for the first time. And when Jesus rebuilds uh, trust that should have been there over our developmental years in men, in women, that gets built in the early years, if that's missing, Jesus can build it in and then we can reinforce, yeah, humans are safe, humans are safe. And then when we're together and there's oneness, we can all do this and all be super spiritual and know each other. How's that? You get to have a broken past here. You get to have sinned this morning and still come and tell somebody. Tell somebody. Last night I did this. Good, let's pray it through. Good, go now, let's go worship. I do that sometimes. I'm just, I can't get into worship. I judged this person. I confess it. Blah, 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 blah. Let's just do oneness. I'm going to go back to my notes. Okay, so... did all that. Okay, so I want to talk about the word intentional. We use that word intentionally around here. Oneness doesn't happen by itself. Very important to note. Maybe it should be the heading. Oneness doesn't happen by itself. When we become a Christian and we give our lives to the Lord and we, whatever we do, and now we're whatever we are, it's not that just intimacy and God does the whole thing for us. And then intimacy with others and people do the whole thing for us and we just sit. Imagine you get married and then you're like, oh, yay, oneness. I won't do a thing. You build this relationship. Stand. Six months later, I'm still standing here. Haven't touched you once. Haven't said hello to you. Haven't made you coffee. Haven't had intimacy with you. Haven't even, you, you are making this relationship for both of us. See how oneness actually means, oh, I participate and I give. The to love thing. Do you get it? Am I being too harsh? Everyone's gone quiet. Do you still love me? Wave. Okay, we're connected. So, if we want to do this oneness thing, which he's inviting us into and commanding, it involves action. It's the action of I choose you, and then the verb to love is a doing word which means I don't have energy left today, but I'm going to text this person that I love them. 
I would like to just be my family around the dinner table, but I'm going to phone that person and I'm going to extend my table. That's oneness. I'm going to the shops now. I'm going to think who might just be on their own and want to meet me there and we can do grocery shopping together. I just want it to be the besties that I have in this life hub plus that person from that life hub. We're going to do dinner. But I'm going to extend the invitation to this person who would be also blessed by the evening. I don't feel like getting up 10 minutes earlier to intercede for a few people in my life hub, but I'm going to do it because it's oneness and it's loving. It's, it's choosing. I don't want to stay here for morning tea because it's exhausting and it's nerve-wracking and I have social anxiety and every conversation costs me. But I'm going to choose to love and I'm going to choose oneness and I'm going to arrive down there and I'm going to bow and I'm going to lean towards people and I'm going to connect. Does that make sense? Oneness is action. I don't want to know who all the children are in this church. But I'm going to spend time getting to know what their names are, blessing them, maybe getting on the roster. I'm going to bow because they come from cultural family lines where they haven't learnt dad is safe or where they haven't learnt, oh, we've got aunties and uncles because they're a family on their own. Or they haven't learnt that they're wonderful and that they're powerful and that they're great. So you bowing, choosing oneness and leaning towards them and telling them who they are is a kingdom culture they haven't known before. You actually, this culture won't last if I'm the one, if the senior leadership are the ones, if the life hub leaders are the ones that are generating it we talk about this so much as life hub leaders and prayer ministers i tell you what we will lose this culture if it's not carried by the people that's why i'm talking about it if we go to numbers and numbers and numbers which is not our goal but if we keep releasing the kingdom more people will come to know the lord so the numbers will probably grow in life hubs locked in we've already got 150 people in this church a lot away at the moment but that's a lot of people to carry a culture and if you don't carry it it's not going to work so we're asking Jesus is asking is an invitation please carry my culture into your homes learn what love looks like learn what discipline looks like when it comes talk to other parents how do you do it what's your kingdom how have you found the kingdom coming into your parenting graft in how do you treat your wife? How do you do intimacy? How do you do sexual intimacy? We did the land course and there were 25 couples or something, 29 here. They all shared their beautiful and painful parts of that journey. And I tell you what, there's been some breakthroughs. Shame's gone, change, calm, conviction. It's connection, oneness. So if we graft in, ask each other, Where's the kingdom in your life in that area? Can I learn? And it's very important that as we grow and whatever we do, that it's you guys that are doing the oneness thing, not all the leaders believe in oneness and the church believes in oneness. It's like, no, oneness is following Jesus. It's like he prayed for you. He said, okay, just not referring to you disciples, but like in the future when people come to know me, my prayer is that, Oneness, that he prayed that over us. That, that means there's grace for it. That means there's provision of the way it will work. That means it's going to bear good fruit because he has good ideas. Is that all right?
Hebrews 10.25. This says, This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together, as some have formed the habit of doing, because we need each other. Some people may not have felt need. It's another whole topic. I've done a sermon on it. It's, I don't feel like I need anyone here, especially those ones. And the one who sat next to me, I don't need them. I'm not saying you feel like you need them. I'm saying you really need each other. You need you. You need you. Rory, you need me. (laughs) And if we're like, I don't feel like I need you, I even don't feel like I want you, oh baby, oh baby, Jesus is like, I know that you need each other. You actually, you may not know, but there's some stuff going on. You, you need each other. Jesus is saying, whoa. Well, this wasn't Jesus, but anyway. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. Let's get out of that habit, bad culture, because we need each other. In fact, we should come together even more frequently. Ta-da! Life hubs are weekly now. I read the Bible. It's a good thing. Should have read it a long time ago. Just joking. Um, in fact, we should come together even more frequently. Tick. Eager. Oh, you guys have got to go to huddle. Eager. It's in the Bible. Eager to encourage and urge each other. See the to love, not eager to go so someone can love me. Eager to go so I can talk about my problems. No. Eager to encourage and urge each other, outward thinking, onward as we anticipate that day that Jesus is coming. We need each other. So if we go, I need to go to Life Hub for someone else, not Life Hub, Life Hub gatherings. I need to go for someone else. Let me share some stuff with you. Some people in this room have been so blessed that underneath their roof, their marriage or their children, they're actually quite content. And they can just do that day to day. That's called the blessing of the Lord. It's so beautiful. And it's not everyone's deal here. It can be harder for people who are blessed to go, I need to go to Life Hub gatherings and I need to go to church because I don't need a thing. Jesus has blessed me here. But if we could go, I need it and God's commanding me to gather because I need to encourage someone else. Then get out of, I don't feel like it and I don't need to be here and checking, what do I need? Do I need to go this morning? No, I need this instead. Don't go with your need, go with the command. The command is gather because someone else needs encouragement and urging onwards. Keep going, keep going. You can do this. You got this. And if we started using that as our motivation for things, oh, there's something on. I'm going to go to encourage someone and urge someone on. That's the only framework we're thinking rather than, do, but do I need this one? Or where's the, and what? Yes, we consider the needs of our family. Yes, we consider what's the impact on the children, blah, blah, blah. But our whole framework needs to become kingdom culture. I go to gatherings or I arrange gatherings and I... I actually invite people over and I initiate it. That would be wonderful. And it's to encourage and urge people to keep going. That's why you come on Sunday, to encourage. If we had that, we would walk past someone and go, oh, there's someone to encourage. Not, oh, there's someone I don't know. Oh, and then someone else. Oh, and there's a seat over there that's more comfortable. I need to find someone. 
I need to find someone to encourage. I need to get to the door and encourage someone when I walk in. A child walk past me. Hey, what's your name? You are and encourage them. And then, hey, how are you going? Even though I'm so tired. And you're probably going to say the same thing because you haven't really been going. So how are you going? And then they share. And I, what's the scripture? Urge them to keep going. You got this. Do something different maybe to get a different outcome. But I urge you, that's why we gather. Oneness involves action and activity and other-centeredness. Those who feel that they've got pretty much what they need within their family dynamic, or aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, they've got a whole cluster of things going on that could create blessing, might find it very hard to know that there's other people in houses going through the trauma of aloneness. The scripture, so many times in the Old Testament, mainly Deuteronomy, keeps going on about look after the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner all the way through, and then even in the New Testament, which means especially look out and think of in your life hub people who've come from other countries and don't have biological families here because they come without babysitting. They come without people to just be with. They have to organize with, can I see you as a friend and have a date instead of someone just in their home? So become family to them. People who've come here and they don't have blood when it was just me, and then Rachel finally joined, but it was still, I have none of my past, I don't have my parents, I don't have a husband, like zero family. The church had to be enough. There's people here, you're it. They've, joined, they've, they've walked into this place and they're looking around and literally it's like, will you be my parents? Will you be my brother and sister? That is half this church. That was me. It was so traumatic to have nothing but a couple of friends. It was horrific. And I felt the Lord put on my heart then, build a family here and build it in a way that it's oneness and people can be family to each other. Think of the widow. So the single people, the widower, single men and women, whether they're divorced, whether you know, there's been death, whatever, or they're young and single, Stuck into the late 20s, the trauma of singleness starts. Life isn't working out the way I thought. Parent, the, grab them. I wouldn't be okay if I didn't have particular couples who are quite fine with it being three of us often. If Brad and Lisa hadn't have gone, we'll extend our table. You, we can be three sometimes. The amount of times I've called and it's just been on speaker and just cried and cried and cried and cried and they never got tired. Where would I be if I wasn't familyed? Through some of my highest trauma, the hurries. It's not convenient to add someone to your family, but we're on our side, we're like, we can't make it unless you do that. I'm only made it because I got adopted. So the scripture says, adopt the orphan. The orphan, the widow, widower, the single, and the people from other countries. The orphan, people that can include people who come from non-Christian families. They can't talk about Jesus. They can't be themselves. They're like orphaned in that way. Or they literally just don't have parents. Or something. They're just young adults and they really like need you. And the scripture says, your brothers, your sisters, your, your mothers and fathers. Don't matter what age you are, if you're a woman in this church, you're a mother. And you, irregardless of whether you've had biological children, like me, you are a mum. And you can mother anybody of any age. Go for it, girls. 
If you are a male and you're sitting in this room, doesn't matter what age, you are called to be fathers. It's actually part of your mandate. And you can father anyone of any age. Did you know that? Where is fathering happening in your week? Think of this last week. Did you, who did you father except your biological family? Who did you father here? Women, who did you mother? Who did you hold? Who did you reach out to? Who did you teach and equip in the way they should go? Just keep pursuing people here, especially if they're in seasons, going to be married soon, just got married, first year. Cluster around them. Be family. Oneness takes action. Is that all right? Okay. If this has to be split over two weeks, we can do that. I'm taking time. So, some of the things that may not be in your cultural upbringing, in fact, it could be quite the opposite, that we believe is kingdom culture, no matter how much it grates against your heart, I'm just going to mention a couple to normalize them. Is that all right? It'll be like, I don't know if I want to die here. When you've heard some of these things, but someone will hold your hand at morning tea. So, the first one is we believe it's Jesus to give feedback sometimes to people and to each other. Not all the time. I'm going to get on to that. But feedback. If we could get rid of the fear of someone telling me the truth about me, that would really help everything. It can be fearful if I show you the real me and then you give me feedback about how I'm hurting you or creating mess here. That can be really scary, but, like, I get feedback a a bunch, but I'm not afraid of it, because I'm like, oh, you gave me a gift. You told me there was food on my face. Thank you. That's what feedback is. It's like, you just got something in your teeth. That's feedback. That's, oh, it's going to be seen by everyone soon, and it's probably going to manifest and grow and become like an abscess and be really disgusting, but... In just connecting with you, I can see that this is a bit of sin here. Can I, just, can I just point it out? For you, not for me. Ha! Feedback is for them, not for us. If it's for us, possibly got an offendable heart. I'll get onto that later. Feedback is when we're just saying, I don't know if you are aware of this, but some of the things coming out of your heart or your behavior is actually hurtful or impacting or demeaning. Or, um, and the goal of telling somebody is connection. If you have no, absolutely no desire to connect with that person, you're like, oh, never want to be a friend. Possibly don't give them feedback. Leave that to someone who actually wants to walk the road with them. Think, do I want to be connected to this person? No, turn your love on. It actually can grow. You can actually turn it on. I'm going to turn and I'm going to choose you. I'm just going to give you this feedback and you actually end up closer because trust is formed do you know that in a culture of feedback trust blossoms because it's like i will never have to guess if i'm loved here 
and I'll never have to guess that someone has talked about me here because I always hear it face to face. I can rest here. I can be me here, and it's safe. It actually creates trust, not fear. The fear of feedback has something to do with insecurity, brokenness of who you are, uh, self-hatred, self-loathing. Here, feedback is glorious. It means that character can be, you know, we can give the feedback and Holy Spirit goes, boop, there it is. And he just goes, yeah, and conviction grows. And then repentance happens and then we walk it out together. It's beautiful. Can we normalize it here? We even use the word, so even in our leadership and in our groups and friends and everything, we just use the word, can I just give you some feedback? Kylie popped in my office the other day, can I just give you some feedback? Go for it. And when I do it to her, can I just give you some feedback? She goes, hang on. Okay, go for it. <laughs> it's like, I'm just going to put on my seatbelt and then you can talk. It's, it's, but it's, it's not easy and it burns and truth hurts. Truth burns, but oh, the fruit of truth. It's protection of you for you to get feedback. It's us protecting you from stuff on your face. So, yeah. Deb and I, you, did you just say thank you? We had some chats, didn't we? And you said, I've been in so many church families and no one's told me. No one told me that. Or even bothered to spend the time and sit down with her and go through things. And we've had beautiful chats. And she feels like she's trusted and known and it was kind. It's got to be kind. It's got to be wrapped in kindness. I don't think you know this, but I want to fight for you and give you some feedback, not fight you. Do you understand? So if we could just normalize feedback, we'll probably become more like Jesus. So that's very good. Um, James 5, 19 to 20. James 5, 19 to 20 says, Finally, as members of God's beloved family, Dude, that's you. That's me. We must go after the one who wanders from the truth and bring him back. So that's someone who's got stuff on their face. We must go after. Go after each other and go, hey, I think this is in play. Come back. Come back to oneness. Come back to wholeness. For the one who restores the sinning believer back to God from the error of his way gives back to his soul life from the dead and covers over countless sins by their demonstration of love. It is loving to go after and go, I just need to tell you this. It's loving. I've heard people say, I've heard people say, I just don't want to tell them because I'll hurt them. And I get that. And you know what? If you're saying that, you have a beautiful heart. Wow. You're like, my goal is to not hurt them, so I can't give them this truth. But what the scripture is saying is there's even a higher way of hurt, not hurting someone shouldn't be our goal. Whoa. Religious spirit just went out the room. <laughs> just jokes. But if we just went being nice to people and not hurting people is what a Christian is, I'm like... Uh, hurting people's part of dying and righteousness and Jesus hurt and it can hurt to hear truth but it's a gift it's like someone having a glass shard deep in their arm and it's now pussing I don't want to cut it out for them said the doctor because it'll hurt them I don't want to hurt them so I'm going to leave it there and they can just rot by themselves because it'll hurt if I touch them or be a good friend and go 
just going to grab the scalpel. Excuse me. Do, do, do. I just need to give you some feedback. Uh. <laughs> Hurt them. Stitch it up. Hold their hand for a little while, for a few weeks for some. I still love you. You're fine in your pain. Your mess is fine. Oh, look, your arm doesn't hurt anymore. Pus is gone. Glass is gone. It's healed. Actually, it's loving to give truth. Otherwise, she's walking around going, I don't know why my arm's hurting. Will you be my friend? Whack. They don't know that they're creating chaos. So tell them, you're creating chaos. Right. There was a message version, but I'm not going to do it. I talk about confrontation. I love this topic. How are you going? Bit done? Just breathe. Put your seatbelt on. You ready? Okay. Here comes some truth. Here comes some kingdom truth. Here comes some kingdom culture. All of us, every single one of us, have a different view of what confrontation looks like, should be like, is like. Some of us sat under wondrous discussion from a parent and confrontation was feedback. Other people, the discipline was uh, trauma and beatings. For some people, they heard parents fight for 10, 15 years. And so now it's like, oh, in this church, we do confrontation. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, can you tell somebody, can you just confront them on this issue? Whoa, like, whoa. There's fear on telling the truth. That's called core sin, not core sin, core pain that needs to be dealt with because confrontation's glorious. It's really kingdom even. Jesus designed it. He did it. It's that it wasn't done in kingdom ways in your home. Does that make sense? If you were brought up with confrontation and how to do it or how not to do it and it was not kingdom, that's not Jesus' fault. But it doesn't mean confrontation needs to be judged. Can we not judge confrontation based on our history, please? I forgive you, confrontation. I like your confrontation. So confrontation is like stage two, feedback. If something's wrong with someone, don't go, oh, now I have to confront them. No, I have to have a conversation with them. Far more, less, far less dramatic. Um, so if I have an issue with Sarah, I don't go, right, let me get my petrol in my tank. I'm going to rev up and I'm going to confront that girl. It's not like that. <laughs> And we boulder and we've had that. We've even had that to the leadership. That's called the person's issue. But it's really important that confrontation is a conversation. But it looks like this. Everybody in this church, we follow the kingdom culture. So we're going to learn it together. Is that okay? Like literally, I'm asking you to let go of what you know and let's do it how God says because it's creating real problems in this church if we're not all doing it. Like it can split a church in half. We can all just be gone and this doesn't exist based on this one principle. One crack, one fox in the field, boom, everything's gone. Please don't do that to us. Please be this. So Matthew 18, 15 to 17, if you don't know how to do confrontation, if you don't know how to deal with someone in this church, if you don't know how to deal with leadership, it says it in the Bible. Matthew 18, 15 to 17, here we go. If your brother or sister, it's on the screen, sins 
does anything to hurt you. Go. Oh, action. Move towards them. It doesn't say withdraw. Find a friend. Gossip about them. Debrief your heart. Now I feel better. That's what I needed. I'm fine with them now. I don't have to deal with it anymore. Literally talking about what you're battling with actually can often get rid of what you're feeling doesn't mean it's dealt with. There's now a crack between that person and you. You're like, I feel better. I can deal with you, but I'm not going to be close with you. I'm not going to have oneness because I don't trust you because I didn't fix it. I just dealt with my issue of you somewhere else. It's not oneness unless you go, says the scripture, and show him his fault. Here's the secret in private. Oh, Lordy, I can't tell 10 people first. It says, go to him and go, can I give you some feedback? Use that word. Private. No one else knows about it. Literally. Sometimes I've had a big issue or someone else has had a big issue and now I have an issue with them. And I, have, I use this thing just in senior leadership or with Kylie and I'll say to her, I'm just letting you know I have an issue with this person. I'm not even going to tell you all the details, but I'm like, this is dumb. It hurts. And then we go, cool. So when, and she gives me a time frame of when she's going to check if I've caught up with them in private. It's like a rule that I'm only telling another person because they're going to keep me accountable that I'm going to go and show. If you have a problem with someone, what's the key word? Go and show. Can we say it again? Go and show. It means be brave. It means come out of fear of confrontation that you grew up with and you only go to that person and you show. Show is different to point finger and blast your anger. What does show mean? Like, What does that word connote? Show means... Can I see, can I show you what I've drawn, like a child? Can I, can I show you something? Can I, I don't think you see this, but let me show. It's an invitation to see sin, not a go and blow. So go and show, go and show, go and show, go and show. Go and show him his fault in private. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother. Do you know that those confrontational conversations, I've had many with people here and they've had many with me, I have never been so close to them as after talking some stuff out. You gain a brother, literally. It's this blessing that God pours out. He rewards the go and show. And now I have a type of oneness that I wouldn't have had unless I go and showed. And they can have oneness with me because they go and showed me, my stuff. And oneness can come. It's a key. I'm giving you a key. Oneness happens through go and show. If there's big sin that's impacting you. A time to not go and give feedback is if we as people actually have an offendable heart. And if offendable hearts don't get revealed unless we choose to be highly connected and oneness... But I tell you what, if you choose to graft in, can you stand? Can you stand? And just fucking right around me here. If you choose to graft in, you're going to start triggering. Like family reveals stuff. And I'm in this life hub and you're really close. And I'm in a church and you know my stuff. And so then my stuff, <laughs> we like it. My stuff starts to erupt. And I'm like, but I'm at peace when I don't come here. I'm at peace when I'm not part of this family because 
I get to live in denial. It's what it actually is. And nothing is showing. That's why you're at peace. It means something's right if you're connected and you're not happy. It actually means righteousness can brew in the oneness. Oneness reveals us. Did you know that? Being alone doesn't reveal us. It's like, hallelujah. And then this is like, I am so brewing. Oneness reveals us, and it's God's gift. He actually clicked, and he went, I'm going to ask the church family to have oneness, and then all their stuff's going to come out. Just like marriage. Oh, why did we sign that paper? It's, it's, it, it literally, the agitation and the brewing happens after the covenanting. Covenanting reveals us, but it's comfortable. I'm just going to go over here. Oh, I live in peace, and Jesus and I are fine. And I have oneness. Guess what? If you ever feel God's just going, just come to me, forget the humans, which he can sometimes, to heal your heart. Literally, you can go through a time where it's just Jesus and me. He does precious things when it's just you and him. And it's okay. If you're in it, it's just him and I, and I can't do much more. It's really, you're in the best place. Just know the end result, if it's just you and Jesus, is he's going to bring you back to community because that's how he works. So if you're in just this, it's just him and I, and it's beautiful, that's fine. It won't last. Because it means if it's just you and him, he's going to start healing you, unless you're in denial. And, um, and he's going to bring you back to this. This is what he designed. And then you'll start agitating and be well, like, I want to go back over there. But this is where he sanctifies us, not there. He heals us in the one-on-one. He sanctifies us in the oneness of family. Unless you're agitated here, you won't be righteous. And you're going to be known or have to decide to be known. And that can be threatening. It can take two years some, for some people in this family and then they crack. We're like, oh, there it's happening. There they go. Yep. Been there. Oh, it's this one's turn. Actually, it can take a while after being this culture till it's like, I can't keep this structure of performance orientation and perfectness and I do everything and I serve everyone and I'm just great. I can't keep this facade up. It's wonderful. This, the, the culture polices itself. If you're part of this family, it won't take long, and the facade is like, how come this doesn't work here? It's like, I just want to know you and come really close. We're just going to come really close. Oh, look, the facade's cracking. Oh, this is fun. <laughs> I'm going to touch you and make it worse. I'm going to make you want to hug. Facades don't last. And hardened hearts, they come in the door. I have a hardened heart. Grew up in trauma. Not me. Someone. (laughs) Someone not as great. (laughs) So joking. And so someone else is like, I grew up in trauma and I learned my whole life, and yet they don't know this because they live in denial. My, the only way to, to survive is to harden my heart. You know, the scripture says, don't harden your heart. It says, have a heart of flesh. It's a, it's a command because Jesus knows that he gave us, he actually gave us the ability to harden our heart so that we can survive trauma, trauma that he didn't want for us. But then we don't know that we become adults and our heart's still hardened because that's what we learned to do. And then we join this church family. We covenant in. We don't attend. We covenant in, and it's just lovely. And it's just peaceful, and it's just wonderful. 
because I'm actually numb. My heart's hard. And then we go on this journey, and it's like, oh my gosh, they always just do this long worship of intimacy with Jesus and all that oneness thing. And then it's like, oh my gosh, and then sometimes there's sermons and then life hubs and everything's so intense, everyone's so intense here, and it's just, they talk about healing and they talk about the heart all the time, like the heart journey, the heart journey, the heart journey. I've got a heart, let's keep going, I'm not the tin man. Oh, yes you are. And I just don't even have one. Suddenly becomes a reality the closer you get to people. Because people in life hub will be like, and how's this? Because, you know, because those people go to life hub to encourage others, <laughs> not to talk about themselves. So how's this going? And then suddenly, it can take a year, it can take two years. It can just take coming to unit one of Elijah House. Bing! Ah! We'll, we'll walk it through with you. But literally, here, in oneness, you will be revealed. And it's God's kindness to you. It's God's kindness to you to put you in a family to die. I'm going to skip the other versions that I had of that sermon because I'm going to start wrapping up. But I talked about an unoffendable heart. Triggers will happen. You'll trigger. A trigger is something happens in my heart, but actually it's because of core dealt, undealt with pain I didn't know was there. You can trigger when it comes to um, your leader because males can't trust males. Males always abuse me. Males want to use me. Leaders always want to use us. Whatever has been written on your heart, things here can trigger. Um, often in authority figures. Um, another reason to just maybe not give feedback is, is, is if your heart goes with rage that someone did something. There's a saying, saying we say in Elijah House, if the offense or what happened or someone said something hurtful is this big, can you see? If, it, if what happened is this big, but your response in your heart is this big, it's not because of what happened. It's that has triggered stuff inside of you. So do not give feedback if it's like, bah! unless I'm like really, really sins, then it's appropriate. But always check, why did that bother me? Once we start knowing our heart, we start going into why, always check first. If I walk away from something, I don't always go feedback there and then. I go away and I interview my heart and I interview Jesus. Why did that hurt me like that? What did that do in me? It's not always the other person. So feedback, to be normal, but not all the time. Take it as an opportunity to go, actually, what's in me? What's in me that doesn't like that? And that person, Jesus, might call them out on that the following year. It might take five years for someone to change in that area. So just let it be five years of burning of your flesh. If someone's annoying and someone's needy and someone just never changes, let it burn you well. Just come to Life Hub gatherings to die. It's okay to go, my flesh is going to die tonight. I'm going to go and have a gathering around some annoying people who choose the same thing and no change in their life. What does that burn in me, Jesus? Burn the impatience, Jesus. Burn my flesh, Jesus. Invite him to just burn you and do the I choose family, I choose oneness. Different cultures of churches, different cultures of family have taught things about anger. The church culture, I believe, has failed to teach kingdom when it comes to anger, and I'm sorry for that. I'm really sorry. 
I'm really sorry and I repent on behalf of churches who've gone just anger cannot be a part of you. There's no anger here. To be a Christian means to not have anger. Do you know that anger is just an emotion? Who designed emotions? Did you make mistakes? He gave the whole range to us. Anger is just a signpost saying something's wrong. That's all it is. Follow the signpost. There'll be fear there. There'll be something there underneath it. It's just a signpost. You get to have anger here. Anger, you're allowed here in this kingdom culture. But the scripture says, in your anger, don't sin. So please don't behave angry here. Please don't go behave angry here. But please have anger here. Do you understand the difference? You are allowed to feel anger you are allowed to express it. Expressing anger is the way. If you feel really angry, try this question. If anger had a voice, what would it say? If you're someone who just often has anger or frustration, interview it. If anger had a voice, what would it say? Do that with Jesus or do that with a friend. Or sit there and let the putrid bitterness and anger out. Just share it with someone. That's holy and kingdom. But it says, don't, in your anger, don't sin. Don't go and hit people. Don't go and sin against people. Don't go break people. Don't go and do, you know, retaliation. But anger is fine to have here. And then don't judge. Intentional oneness reveals us. And just the last slide, Jonathan, thank you. The very last, thank you. This is what oneness will do. If you choose kingdom culture oneness here, this way, it will cost you everything to have this. If you want this, it'll cost you everything. Your energy, your timetable, your value system, you have to change everything. It'll cost you everything to, for this to be that sweet oneness he designed and the power and the glory. If you want oneness here, it will cost you everything. Everything. You will die. And then you will sprout. And then you will have glorious branches and glorious fruit. But it'll cost you your flesh to have oneness. It'll cost you your time and your energy and it'll cost you. Does this make sense? The oneness will cost you everything. The loving will cost you everything. But it's worth everything. The reward is sweet and beautiful. I can't tell you what I receive from this community because you are carrying this culture. Because you're carrying this culture, I'm well. But it's also because I cost myself everything into this culture. It's a beautiful reward. It's worth everything to just have this and this. Forget everything else that you're doing in your life. That's just what I wanted to say. I invited Rach and Brad to put any afterthoughts because we lead pastoral and family culture together. That was awesome. I just wanted to clarify before when you talked about the dying conversation with Michael and Larissa Miller, I did have a good conversation with them, but that was a quote from Trace Howard. I just wanted it to be on the record. No, it's fine. Um, who is their worship and prayer pastor, but it was a very awesome conversation. But I read this this morning and I just thought how 
Awesome. I'm just going to say it out loud. This is Song of Songs 4, verse 6, and it's the Shulamite. It's us. And this is what he's saying to the Lord. She's saying to the Lord, I've made up my mind until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come. So until he comes. In spite of shadows and fears, I will go to the mountaintop with you, the mountain of suffering love and the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. The decision to be the bride is to agree to costly love. Wow. Suffering love. Yeah, uh, the whole feedback thing um, is huge, incredibly important part of culture. Um, what people may have experienced in, in previous cultures is either, um, so sometimes uh, from a leadership perspective, someone could see someone who's difficult and they do their best to try and avoid them. Yeah, so you just kind of get, people get shuffled around, they go, how can we manage this person's brokenness? Uh, whereas here we want to say, now how can we, how can we help them to get whole and healed? And that means kind of confronting that brokenness um, or that place. Or sometimes people will get, you know, in relationships, sometimes we can have feedback, not because the person's sinning, but just because the way that they're behaving in relationship isn't working for you. And that's okay, because it's loving just to say, hey, you know what, um, I know you were just when you're sharing your heart, if you're yelling at me, um, I just find it really hard to hear what you're saying. Now, that person might not be sinning or doing anything against you, but so there's some of those elements of feedback. But again, sometimes it can be, um, you need to change what you're doing because it's not working, you know, for us, but it's actually not out of a love for the person. Whereas just so you're aware, like we, I mean, we're sitting, it was Friday afternoon and Amy and Kyle and I were sitting up in the dining hall and just talking about like, like, why do we do this? <laughs> like, we don't have to do this because it's, it's a real cost. But it's like, why? Why do we? Like, it's like we go after people's wholeness, and we and we confront people and we have those kind of really hard conversations with people and it's because we love people so deeply that we don't want them to stay stuck in their brokenness and their sin. And yet they can be completely lost in their denial and, you know, they're, they're shielded from it. They're hurting everyone around, but they don't kind of know or care. But it's that you care enough to, to press in and to have, sometimes you have conversations with people and you go, wow, that's amazing. It went well. Sometimes you have those kind of conversations and it goes really, really bad. Um, but to not have the conversation, you know, even the example you used, you know, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt them. Um, but what you're also saying is, I, I'm not going to love them. So if you say, oh, I don't want to confront them because I don't want to hurt them. What you're also saying is, I'm not going to confront them because I actually don't want to love them. Because that's the fruit that comes out of that place. I love it. You know, repentance is a gift. Um, Coming into truth, we all say, yeah, we want the truth, we love the truth, and Holy Spirit's the, you know, he's, he's the bringer of truth and all that sort of thing. But the, the fact is, if you're receiving a truth that you don't have, that's because you're believing a lie. So you're actually believing something that is not true, and so in order to come into truth, you're going to be confronted, and that's what the word means, to come face to face, you're going to be confronted with the lies that you're believing. It's naturally going to be unpleasant for you. But that's why we, we bring the truth and we do it in love. And again, that's something where it may not have been your experience. People may have confronted you not in love. 
Uh, they may not have had a desire for your well-being. It may have been all about protecting their well-being, uh, and we're sorry for that. Um, but just so that you're aware, if you, if you, when you're receiving feedback, and we do it at, a, at, a, at every level of, of leadership, it's high feedback. High feedback, even if it's little things. It's just high feedback because we love enough. Um, and the other thing you talked about, the whole being grafted in, and um, I think it's something when people come to this community and they can see some of the fruit that's growing on the tree. And they're like, oh, wow, look at that beautiful fruit. And they taste the fruit. They get to experience the fruit that's coming off the tree. They're like, this is amazing. And all oh, the, the worship or the teaching or the family, the community, this is so amazing. And they're like, I think I want to be part of this, this tree. So it's awesome. Well, then you can be grafted in here. Because it's not really the same just to come each week or whatever and just eat the, f- the fruit. If you want to be grafted in, but then what happens is when you get grafted in, you realize all that goes into producing that good fruit. All of the stuff that goes into the soil, all of the ways that the tree gets pruned and watered and shaped and all of those sorts of things. And sometimes people go, oh, yeah, I'm out of here because now I keep getting feedback and they, there's all this stuff going on. I've got to be in community and I've got to, you know, all this sort of stuff. So, oh, but that's what produces the beautiful fruit. It's not an accident. You, the things that God's doing, and that's, again, that word intentionality. Like, we're, we're just highly intentional about building those things. You know, I, Kylie and Lindley and I sat there for probably an hour and a half just lovingly putting people into Live Hub groups on Facebook. You know, but going through each person and going, ah, oh, that person there, and actually maybe, maybe it would be better if they were, you know, there and, and that their life situation has changed. But just caring so much about people wanting to be connected and loved because it's good for them. It's not good for us. I want to tell you, building family, this doesn't work well for us. It's a million times harder than just putting on a show and having you turn up each week and entertaining you. I, can, I, I reckon I'd be pretty good at entertaining you. I could find ways, you know. I can sing. I don't know if I can dance, but I could learn, you know. That's it. That's it. Yes, I could do fireworks. I make fireworks. I, oh, that's it. Yep. We could just smoke machines, all those sorts of things. Um, but, uh, but at the end of the day, it wouldn't be the fruit of the kingdom. Uh, and that's what we're really, that's what we're desiring for you individually, for your family, for this community, for this region, for this nation. Um, and just so you, I just, again, just want to reiterate how much we love and care for you. Uh, like parents for their children, and that's not in a condescending way. That's just that kind of depth of, of the laying down uh, that we're willing to do for, for your sake and your benefits. So, bless you guys. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Rachel. I didn't do the rest of Matthew 18. So when you have an issue with someone, what are, the, what are the words? You go and show. But then it says, if they don't listen. So it says, if they do, you've gained a brother. But I didn't explain step two. If they don't, then it says, go and take one or two more. So just know stage two is also important. One or two more. So And then you sit together. Not, I'm going to go tell more. It's, I'm going to get more and come back to go and show and then have other people listen and witness and help. And they, they might give me feedback and go, actually, I think this is you, not them. That's how a group is actually amazing. But it's still them. Marriages, the thing works, Matthew 18. If you, you do this way all the time, every day, cleaning as you go. If it's not working and you're sitting in this community Matthew 18, go on to step two, literally bring one of us in. Quick, quick, quick. Some, some people are on stage one and it's not working and they do that for 10 years. What a waste of 
kingdom principle. Just bring someone in, not go and talk to this person. Yep, yep, so go back. Well, I spoke to Brad, and he said this, and you go back to your partner. And then, then the other one, will, Brad will now speak to the other one and then help them, and then it's stage two is you bring. So, you know, Brad or me or different people, we do this a bunch, sit in, and the three of you chat together. And then light can come from a group discussion. So do that anytime. Con- contact your life hub leaders to come and sit in with that. Life of leaders next Sunday, they don't know this, we're going to get them all up here, show you who they are again, pray and mandate them and things like that, but just ask them to sit with you in marriage. Please don't go around the mountain for 10 years and no one knows. And then it says if they still don't listen, then we go to the wider community. But just know that we can come into your stuff, but life, life hubs. Or if somebody comes to you with a problem about somebody else, so this is where you also get to practice Matthew 18. So someone says, oh, I've oh, got such an issue with this person. Um, your first response should be, have you spoken to them? And if their answer is no, then you say, can you please go and speak to them? Okay. Yeah. So we don't, I don't, I don't, it's no, no point me hearing how much they're annoying you if they don't know it first. Now, if the thing is, oh, you've gone and spoke to them. Hey, it's not working. It's like, okay, well, we can go together. Did you let them know? Have that conversation. You, you're trying to work it out with someone. They're like, and you can't get anywhere. Say, hey, I just feel like we're not getting anywhere in this conversation. Maybe I feel like maybe you're not hearing me or I'm not understanding you. Can we invite somebody else into this conversation? Yeah, I think that would be good. Cool. Well, uh, you know, who would you be comfortable with? Oh, this person? Cool. And then we'll arrange a catch-up and to bring a third party, which can sometimes bring understanding in that case. But when somebody comes to you, what you don't do is so Ian comes to me, says, Brad, I've got this issue with Kyle. And says, okay, so I'll go over to later on. Oh, Kyle, I just want you to know, Ian's got a real big issue with you. Yeah, I think you should, you know, oh, yeah, it's a bit, either I'm telling you, or maybe I'm telling you, oh, maybe you should go speak to Ian. I really, it really bothers me when people tell me about someone else's issue with me, because now I've either got to break, I've got to break your confidence, and now you've broken their confidence, and then you've got this whole broken relationship thing going on, so now I've got to go and confront somebody about an issue that, that they you don't even know that I know about because maybe they were just venting or they're being irresponsible. So what I do, I was like, I'm, I, I'm not going to deal with that because to me, you shouldn't have told me. Okay, you should have told them. So then I'll tell the person, can you go back to them and say, hey, you know the issue that you, that you got with Brad? Can you go and talk to Brad about it? Because then we get to reconcile and everything's good. But please don't, if you, if you, please don't come to me with other people's issues with me or anyone like. I'm sure there's a multitude, okay? But, you know, if you find someone, I'm totally happy to have a conversation with anyone. We had a great question in our Finding Family time last week about, you know, what, you know, how's, how's the leadership structure work? And if we have an issue with someone in leadership and, you know, what do we do? And uh, the simplest thing is, was Matthew 18, you come and talk to the person. Now, if you're a crazy person, if you're like literally like, a, a bit off and you've got, you want to argue with me every single week about what scripture I should use or shouldn't use or some other weird kind of doctrinal thing, probably at some point we're going to say, that's enough of the conversation, you know, but we trust most of you looking around aren't complete lunatics, you know, I mean, I, I know it's a sliding scale, but, you know, you're not right down that end just yet, but it's really that thing is like, hey, come and have a conversation, not like you suck. We're just like, hey, I just wanted to, I just wanted to give you some feedback, Brad. Um, and I love, I love feedback. I hate it, but I love it. It's painful, but it's truth. It's good, and so that's why we want it. But uh, yeah, awesome.
So the church split happens when people don't do Matthew 18. They stay offended and they talk amongst themselves and they feel better because they've talked about it. Literally, if someone comes to you, it has to be because they're offloading some of the steam, just letting the valve up because you're now going to go, cool, when do you want me to phone and check if you've met with them? So it's fine to hear it, but they have to say all of it to the person. Send them, please. Send them, send them, send them, send them, send them. If they come to you a second time, it's like, how come this is still in play? Oh, because you need a meeting. Please just, if someone's talking to you about someone in your life, have go, go and show. Let's just use that language. Oh, go and show. Sorry, can't listen to that. Go and show. I don't know how to close. Amen. <laughs> So you're completely released to just leave and go home. It's late and you've got kids and they need to sleep and they need to eat, blah, blah, blah. Or just bend and go towards morning tea to encourage someone and urge someone on. So just do the cost of love, please. Please meet someone new. Hold someone's hand all the way down. If you need prayer, ask for it down there. Just grab someone. Everyone's capable. Anything you need. <laughs>